everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. I don't even know what episode this is. 195. So that means we're five episodes away from episode 200. Yeah. We should spitball ideas about what to talk about for episode 200. And right now, I'm leaning towards re-elect JFK. Ooh, that's a good choice. We could talk about presidential video games. Ooh, presidential video games, like re-elect JFK? Yeah, we could talk about re-elect JFK. There's the um, uh, American election game that came out in Japan and only Japan for the Famicom. Like 90s era presidential games. Yeah, yeah, perfect. If you weren't excited about Tony Hawk Pro Skater, which is what this episode's about, buckle up and be prepared to be excited for JFK (laughs) re-elected. Anyway, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Recently, Seth, I've been playing the 1998 Pokemon trading card game, Game Boy game, which was released by Hudson Soft. It was actually recently re-released to Switch Online. Uh, So if you have Switch Online and you access the Game Boy slash Game Boy Color area, you can play Pokemon the trading card game. And it's a pretty interesting game. It's based on the Pokemon trading card game, like the actual trading card game, as the name implies. But it also kind of plays just like a normal Pokemon game. Except you trade cards. Yeah, you trade cards and you fight with cards. But it's still like the same general plot. You like start the game out and your character is at home and is like, I gotta go to see the Pokemon card professor, who is apparently a professor who studies Pokemon cards. And you go to the Pokemon card professor and he teaches you how to play the Pokemon card game. You have to go to various different Pokemon card gyms and beat the uh, people there. It's kind of interesting. It plays a bit like an RPG in the sense that you do have kind of a similar battle system. However, as it's based more on the rule system of the Pokemon card game, you also have to like stack your Pokemon with different abilities and stuff like that. So you have these things called power cards. You have to like stack those on your Pokemon so that they can attack. It's very complicated. It's a bit more complicated than I expected, but it's still pretty fun. It's just kind of interesting that they they set it to feel like you're playing a Pokemon game, but instead of getting your like starter Pokemon, you get a starter deck of cards. And uh, the graphics of the game are also very much inspired by the Pokemon games by Game Freak, where your character is like this little dude who uh, walks around and everyone kind of has the same sprites as the original Pokemon game. Is your player a child going off to become a Pokemon card master? Yes. Are there Pokemon in the world as well that are real? Not that I've encountered. So this is like if Pokemon was in real life. Yeah, it's basically like if instead of people being obsessed with Pokemon in the Pokemon world, people are obsessed with the cards. What if Pokemon trading card game is real life pokemon world and anyone who's playing through the pokemon like games where creatures are pokemons are just tripping on shrooms that might be it anyway pokemon the trading card game you can play it on your nintendo switch now um so give it a shot if you're interested in pokemon but want to play something a little unique anyway seth what have you been recently playing recently i've been playing a game that also came out in the 90s i've recently been playing silent steel which is a 1995 submarine simulator created by tsunami games at one point in time in my life i installed all of exo wind 
three on my computer, which is roughly around 340 gigabytes of data. And it has all of the programs on it that were on Windows 3.1, including Silent Steel. The game is an FMV adventure game where it will pause at certain points and allow you to pick the path that you go down. You play as the commanding officer of the USS Idaho, which is a fictional Ohio-class ballistic missile submarine. The game is classified as a cinematic strategy adventure. And for a fun fact, it was not only sold on PC, but was later released on DVD as well in 1999. So you could sit in your lounge with your big CRT and cigar and pretend you are actually a commander of your own submarine and complete with whiskey, which now that I'm thinking about, sounds like a good game to play with extra life whiskey. We could pretend that we're, we're commanders. Maybe we'll play some uh, Silent Steel. So it's a submarine FMV adventure game, and it's a blast and very nostalgic for us since we grew up having the demo of the game. Yeah. So like I've played the intro to Silent Steel a million times, and yeah. it's still just as great. Honestly, Silent Steel is one of those games that I kind of want a small crt for i got my tiny little black and white crt the five yeah, incher i would want a color probably like um trinitrons that are real popular i kind of want to get a little one of those but have it as a dedicated silent steel no i do other things on it oh, but okay, it would be no. like my dedicated windows 3.1 game be really funny if it was your dedicated Silent Steel game. No, but I, you know what I could do? Put all of Exo Win 3 on a Raspberry Pi. Oh, yeah. Not a bad and idea. make it a Windows 3.1 machine where all it is is a Raspberry Pi, a keyboard, a mouse, and Silent Steel. Anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about a, a game that I certainly have a lot of memories of at least playing the N64 version. And I'm sure Seth probably has some memories playing the game. Uh, but that game is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Uh, Uh, Seth, what are your memories of playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? So I remember playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater when it came out on the N64. I believe some family friends of ours had Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Mm -hmm. And I believe also I had a a friend of mine that had it. And I recall playing and it was fun. I also remember... I don't think there was multiplayer in it, or at least the first game. Or if it did, it was limited. But I remember like playing it alone at people's houses, which oftentimes is not something that you can do for an extended period of time. People don't really like when children who should be hanging out with other children play single-player games by themselves for hours. So I recall playing it and like passing around the controller and playing it. I also recall not playing it because... There were better multiplayer games, but I had a blast playing it. And I just remember going through, I think there was like a single player and then like a story mode and then like a, just like a freestyle mode. And I remember playing a lot of the freestyle mode since I didn't have, we didn't own it. So like I couldn't get into the story, but I thought it was fun, but we didn't really have sports games growing up. I don't recall if we had any sports games growing up that we didn't inherit. Like, I don't think we bought any sports games. I don't think intentionally, no. No, yeah, I think any sports game that we got would have been from people who gave them to us. And Tony Hawk Pro Skater is definitely a sports game. Yeah, um, I definitely remember renting it at some point. I think we might have rented it because you had played it at someone's place and you wanted to like rent it, rent it to play it at home or something like that. I remember renting at least the first or the second game. And I remember using a game shark to like give you unlimited grinding ability. And... Um, 
there was another game shark code you could use where you could go to like a test world where it was just pits that you could grind around and stuff like that it was just weird i definitely remember though i think that was the second game had a form of multiplayer that was basically like the game horse like what you would play at, in basketball but the idea is that you would perform a trick and then the second player would have to perform the exact same trick or slightly better and then that if you don't perform it correctly you take a letter and whoever spells whatever it was completely uh fails that might have been why you guys were passing along the controller back and forth <laughs> because you did have to do that you literally had to hand the player one controller to the next player but yeah i i, I think one of my most prominent memories though is playing the hangar level which i think is in tony hawk pro skater 2 but just the hangar level where you could like go down a ramp and then across this airplane and then crash through a window and it was like very cool because you know that would never happen in like real life but the game had this kind of realism to it that made you feel like it could happen in real life and that was always neat to get into the history of tony hawk's pro skater the game itself got its start back in 1997 but we we can't be the classic gaming brothers without being very pedantic about history. And by that, I mean, we're actually going to start today's story in 1968 with the birth of Anthony Frank Hawk in the city of San Diego, California. Anthony, better known by his nickname Birdman, was born to Frank Hawk and Nancy Hawk, who's often described as a child with a lot of energy, sometimes called hyperactive, but also had kind of a self-defeating sense about himself in his early years. In fact, his mother told a story about how he once struck out out in a baseball game and ended up hiding in a ravine until his father had to like physically pull him out of the ravine because he was so upset about losing the baseball game. I've never been that upset in my life. Now his his parents ended up having him tested at school and the test showed that he had an IQ of 144 so he ended up being placed in some advanced classes. In the 1980s he got into skateboarding and made his television debut on Captain Kangaroo going by the name Skateboard Johnny. By age 14, Anthony Anthony was a professional skater, and by 16, he was sponsored by Vans, SIO, Tracker, and Powell, and Powell Peralta. Anthony, or as many people may know him now as Tony Hawk, became a household name for many people, and largely, in my opinion at least, due to his name being tied directly to Tony Hawk's pro skater. Beyond the video game, though, Tony was famous for being the first skateboard to ever land a 900 trick, which is the completion of two and a half mid-air revolutions on a skateboard, which took him 12 attempts. He also holds at least 64 contest victories and in 2009 he was invited to president barack obama's father's day celebration which is when tony became the first ever person to skateboard on white house grounds with permission from officials they forgot when john adams did it oh yes i know or that time jfk uh longboarded down the uh down the hallway and he was like waited boy logboards <laughs> now meanwhile also in california neversoft entertainment was founded by three employees of malibu interactive Joel Jewett, Mick West, and Chris Ward. The company got their start creating games for the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, as both consoles could be developed for fairly easily and at the same time in general. The games that you could put on a Sega Genesis, you could generally port to a Super Nintendo and vice versa, so why not yeah. just do them for both? In 1994, they officially became Neversoft and began working for Playmates Interactive, a division of Playmates Toys when everyone was trying to get into making video games and toy companies were like, we can do this, and some of them still do. Now, Playmates was planning on releasing a toy line called Skeleton Warriors, 
and they wanted a video game to go with it because nothing sells toys like video games and video games like toys. So Neversoft, at, at the direction of Playmates, worked on a Genesis version of the game, but by December of 1994, Playmates decided, nope, we're going to cancel it. Development shifted to the Sega Saturn, and Neversoft actually began to grow as a company, hiring three programmers, five artists, a level designer, and an office administrator, and a game tester. They finally completed Skeleton Warriors in 1996 and began to port the game to the PlayStation. Their next game, Ghost Rider, a game for Crystal Dynamics, was canceled due to financial issues. Now, after a few bad years, which included a port of the game MDK taking way too long to make, Neversoft was just about to completely run out of money. So, they were pretty low on funds and they decided to meet with Activision and this was before Activision became bad. Activision was hoping to find developers to redevelop an unfinished game that they hoped to release called Apocalypse. Neversoft began working on Apocalypse and as they were developing it, Activision also asked if they could work on a skateboarding game, which is great because I just feel like if you're a developer and your publisher is like, man, we really want you to work on a game called Apocalypse. You're like, great, this game's going to involve a lot of violence and destruction. And then they're like, also, can you work on a skateboarding game? <laughs> and you're like, yes. Is it in our wheelhouse? I guess so. I mean, if they're strapped for cash, they'd probably take anything. Now, skateboarding was very popular with the children during this day, and so were skateboarding video games. In fact, Sega's top skater was hitting it in, in big in arcades in 1997, and Electronic Arts saw success with their PlayStation game, Street Skater. And as a child who grew up in the 90s, no lie, the late 90s was very popular with skaters. Like, skate culture was very big. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. also very, still very alternate. So like yeah. the skater was still kind of like the odd kid out, but also the cool kid at the same time. Kids, they loved skating so much that they had shoes that were like designed so that you could grind on like poles. Soap shoes. Soap yeah. shoes. Yeah. You yeah, had soap yeah. shoes, which were really popular in school. Wheelies were coming around during this time so that you could wheel around. This is like when the, the real like trend of like the skater with the skater style complete with like i feel like cargo pants yeah you had like trip pants trip pants listen to uh like punk rock and yeah. ska, the and frosted tips you would have these like underground uh skating tapes that would be distributed on vhs that were really popular um in fact like some of those tapes you can just buy today like people made dvds of them so you could just buy like dvd copies of 90s skater tapes in fact another movie that came out in the 90s with teenage mutant ninja turtles the enemy was the foot clan and they were a skate group <laughs> They're like they were, a skate they gang. Skate, they're a skate gang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they hang out in a skate park, like an illegal skate park, and they steal people and then skate away. So yeah, skate culture was big and thus sold games well because, you know, it's part of the culture. It'd be like in 2023, they released a game about, I don't know, what's what's big in 2023? Not going to work? Uh, <laughs> I'm not completely in the know of what children are playing these days, mostly I don't, because like I don't... TikTok, right? I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe a video game about TikTok. I don't I don't know I'm, I don't hang out with children on a regular basis <laughs> but if I did what wait you know Minecraft maybe a Roblox I don't know it's like taking that culture and making video games around it now Activision on the sidelines uh seeing Sega doing their top skater and EA over there with their street skater they were like we want to make a skateboarding game and so 
they were like, you there, developer who works for us, make us a game. Now, Neversoft would actually take the engine they used for Apocalypse and began developing their skateboard game with that engine. In fact, because they were using the engine and some of the assets, the placeholder for the skater character was a model of Bruce Willis, who was the star of the Apocalypse game. It was Apocalypse the game going to be about apocalypse the movie so i looked it up apocalypse the game is not based on a movie it's just a game that features bruce willis but isn't there an apocalypse movie There's that apocalypse features now apocalypse now doesn't that feature bruce willis no he was in armageddon oh maybe apocalypse is like armageddon's video game in apocalypse you fight demons and i'm pretty sure armageddon's about a an meteor. asteroid yeah is, is bruce is bruce willis in armageddon yes he is it came out the same year <laughs> they did okay maybe they were just like people are gonna see this and bruce willis is gonna be on the cover and it's gonna say apocalypse and they're gonna think it's about the movie armageddon but in fact spoiler alert, it's about demons <laughs> did apocalypse come out yeah it did yeah came out uh in 1998 and it's got bruce willis as the main character bruce willis is literally on the cover and it says starring bruce willis amazing and it's in the tony hawk pro skater engine basically yes <laughs> because the tony hawk pro skater engine is based on the apocalypse engine what now we're going to be talking about tony hawk pro skater but what type of game was apocalypse apocalypse is a third person shooter and when i looked it up there's a picture of the bruce willis character using a flamethrower and it says on a tank but it does not look like a tank from the picture it shows like arms coming out of a creature i mean it could, the creature could be called a tank it could be called a tank but he's definitely using a flamethrower would it be a game that zach would like to play yes Anyway, during the development of their game, Neversoft spent their lunch breaks at a nearby bowling alley, and they would play Top Skater in the bowling alley's arcade. The team actually liked Top Skater, but ultimately felt that it had one problem. It was too linear, and they thought that kind of ruined the potentially fun element that you could have in a skating game. So they decided to build their game to be more open world and have more realism. So instead of, for example, racetracks like you had in Top Skater, there would be schools or cities that you could explore, something that a skater would actually be skating on. While Neversoft was working on the game, Activision got in contact with Tony Hawk and arranged a meeting between him and the Neversoft team. I, so this is how I believe Activision found Tony Hawk. If it was in today's day and age, they would go to Google. They would type big skater. <laughs> <laughs> And the first person would be Tony Hawk. And they'd be like, he seems like he's important. Probably back in the 90s, what they did was they went outside. They saw a kid walking down the street and they were like, hey, who's a famous skater, you know? They're like, I don't know, Tony Hawk. And they're like, great. So they got in touch with Tony Hawk. He came by and he met with the Neversoft team. And Tony was impressed by the game. And he also saw that the team at Neversoft had a love for skateboarding. And they were really trying to keep the game realistic in terms of both the settings, the controls, and the physics. So he decided to agree to have his likeness in the game. Tony, however, did turn down the offer from Activision that would have been a one-time buyout for his likeness. Instead, he worked out a contract where he earned a percentage for every copy sold. And in January of 1999, Activision publicly announced that Tony Hawk would be in the game. And you'll learn that move by Tony Hawk, brilliant probably about as brilliant as George Lucas's deal for Star Wars. Oh yeah. Now, Tony Hawk wasn't just the face of the game, but he also provided feedback and came on as more of like a, almost like a producer of the game. He spent time playing through builds of the game and would offer suggestions on what to do. He also personally set up meetings with other skaters to have their likenesses in the game. Each skater advised by Tony would also get a cut of the royalties and would get to select their own attire and special trick that they would do in the game. Now, 
Now, to help animate the game, the team utilized footage of the skaters as a reference. They did attempt to do motion capture, but this is the late 90s, so that was just way too limiting to be worthwhile and decided, nope, this was not going to be it. Surprised that they didn't do um, like a rotoscope or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder if they basically did because they would actually refer to like professional footage of the skaters. So they would take like footage from X Games and use that. In fact, when Tony is able to perform his 900 move, that is like directly ripped from him performing it at the X Games. So they might have done some rotoscoping. Yeah. Um, which was the old way of doing CGI. Sure is. For the soundtrack, they were able to license the music from the Dead Kennedys, Goldfinger, the Vandals, and other punk and ska bands because you're not going to put like classical music instead of Tony. The soundtrack is just so good. I don't know if I'm going to include any just out of fear of copyright takedowns and stuff, but maybe I'll do the hyper-compressed version from the N64 game. Even that, though, like the Goldfinger Superman is just so nostalgic. And to this day, I'll just put on that song. Sometimes I'll put on the N64 version and it's like incredibly bit compressed version. Oh, yeah, sure. Because I had to get on the cartridge. <laughs> The game would ultimately be released in September of 1999 for the PlayStation 1, and it would later get ported to the N64 and Dreamcast. Uh, Another version of the game was created for the Game Boy Color, but it was not as intense as the game for the PlayStation 1. Yeah, it's an interesting version of the game. I don't really call, like, Game Boy versions ports because they're more of, like, entirely new games. Now, for the gameplay of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the game puts you in control of a skateboarder. You had the choice of playing as either Bob Burns Quest, Kareem Campbell, Rune Gilfberg, Tony Hawk, Bucky Lasik, Chad Musak, Andrew Reynolds, Jeff Rowley, Elisa Steamer, and Jamie Thomas, all famous skaters at the time. From here, you could either go into the game's career mode, single session, or free skate mode. Career mode involves you completing a series of objectives, with the objectives being represented by a videotape, which apparently was inspired by collecting stars in Super Mario 64 to have them like have a collectible item, basically. So the the team were playing Super Mario 64 and were like, hey, we should put in something like this. And they used videotapes. For each objective, you would have a two minute timer to complete the objective, but you were not required to complete all objectives within the two minutes. So you can complete an objective, the timer would run out, you can repeat the stage, do the next objective. This was actually, I think, a really useful way of getting players to not necessarily hate the game. Even though it was two minutes to complete each objective, you could still kind of go at your own pace. So if you realize that you were able to get certain things done in two minutes faster than other things you could kind of like do those things first and then practice until you could get good at the thing that you might have been struggling at now for career mode some of the objectives would be performing certain tricks collecting letters to spell the word skate finding a specific object or destroying something be it a like window or like an airplane small levels of vandalism (laughs) (laughs) yes completing objectives unlocked additional levels or equipment in single session you can accumulate a high score within the two minutes using any previous level or character. In free skate, there are no time limits, so you can just skate to your heart's content throughout the level. 
That's why we free skated. I love free skate. Best mode. And just unlock all the levels using your game shark. Tricks were performed in various ways, with things like ollies, grabs, flips, and slides assigned to various buttons. Though these moves can be chained or comboed for a higher score, but if you fall off your skateboard, you will lose your combo. So if you are performing some epic combo where you've got like three ollies and a grind and a, and a flip on, and then you crash no more combo you got to repeat everything there's also a special gauge that will fill and actually if you crash you can lose your special gauge if it's reached to a certain point when you completely fill the gauge you will perform a special move i was just thinking about how back in the day there was no benefit to not cheating in like an n64 game because there was no achievements yeah nothing like locked for you nothing locked for you in fact only things were unlocked for you there were like game genie codes i'm pretty sure that you could save to your cartridge like things that would unlock stuff would sometimes save to a profile so that you could just like always have it unlocked like we used to have one of the goldeneye files unlocked i'm pretty sure it wasn't from us playing goldeneye i'm pretty sure it was from a game genie codes yeah no for sure or somebody else's game genie codes and now if you cheat you get locked out of achievements which makes me sad literally so i play age of empires with my friends and we enable cheats but whenever anyone cheats it will tell you at the end a achievements have been disabled because cheats were used in this game and it's like come on just let me have fun (laughs) like we're not playing like a ranked mission like just let us have a good time anyway tony hawk's pro skater did very well upon release which makes tony hawk and all the other skaters involved very happy the game would go on to sell 350,000 units from its release date in late december In, in europe it received a platinum sales award from the entertainment and leisure software publishers association which indicated sales of at least 300,000 in just the uk uh, the n64 version of the game was the sixth highest selling n64 game during the week of november 19th through the 26th of the year 2000 which let me tell you is a specific time of year black friday by 2001 the game had sold 3.5 million units i think that's across platforms so that's like dreamcast n64 ps1 etc but if tony hawk was even making 50 cents a game he made millions of dollars <laughs> instead of getting bought out for whatever maybe a hundred thousand <laughs> yeah they probably offered him like some high sounding flat rate but tony hawk he walked away like a bandit part of tony hawk's wealth was made on this game i mean i'm sure he was okay when he was competing professionally however niche sports people don't make that much money it's a different type of like you make your money from your sponsorships you don't really make it the same way that like a professional football player makes. exactly yeah skaters chess players lumberjacks they just they don't make a lot of money through their like actual competitions but they do make it from their sponsors or try to make it from their sponsors uh depending on how big of the sports game is depends on you know whether or not how many people will watch it and thus how yeah. many how much money your sponsor will pay into but a uh, royalty contract all depends on how many units move out the door and sure tony hawk sold a lot in terms of reviews it was pretty popular GameSpot rated the playstation version with a 9.3 out of 10 ign rated it 9.4 out of 10 next generation gave it five stars egm or electronic gaming monthly gave it an 8.38 out of 10 and GamePro gave it a 5 out of 5 now in terms of its legacy tony hawk pro skater spawned a franchise not only was the game ported to various consoles as mentioned before there was also an n-gauge port which i forgot to mention which was released in 2003 and is considered a fairly faithful port 
which oh, is yeah, saying yeah. something for the N-Gage. A remaster of both the first and the second game was released as Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 for Windows, Xbox One, and PS4 in 2020, which includes all the original levels, original skaters, and also improved graphics, an updated skater and park creation mode, and online multiplayer and other fun features. That's a really good remaster. I have a copy of it for PS4. Various numbered sequels were also released in the years to follow. Pro Skater 2 in 2000, Pro Skater 3 in 2001, one, Pro Skater 4 in 2002, and Pro Skater 5 in 2015. Beyond these, there were also other titles that bore the Tony Hawk name. This includes Tony Hawk Underground and Underground 2. Tony Hawk Underground is like the cool version of Tony Hawk. It really Pro Skater. is. Yeah. There was also Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, Tony Hawk's Downhill Jam, Tony Hawk's Project 8, Tony Hawk's Proving Ground, Tony Hawk's Motion, Tony Hawk's Vert, Tony Hawk's Shred, Tony Hawk's Shred Session, Tony Hawk's Skate Jam, and so on, and so on, and so on. Pretty much you put Tony Hawk's name in front of a thing, and then you add a thing related to skating, and it was out there. I I will also say, there was also an HD, like, remake of the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater that wasn't even listed on the, like, main page that I was reading about the game, but it came out, I think, for the PS3, and it bombed it was very bad and it was delisted but beyond that pretty much all the tony hawk games tend to do pretty well they tend to be pretty fun some of them tried to do some things that were unique uh, motion for example i believe is the one that they tried to do a motion board for did not work very well but as seth mentioned uh underground and underground 2 and american wasteland are all considered some pretty great uh skateboard games i think the thing that tony hawk did in terms of its long lasting legacy was it made people who would otherwise probably not be that interested in skateboarding interested in skateboarding like me i was never interested in skateboarding growing up we had a skateboard i did not like it i think i tried to use it once and i fell over but i liked watching skateboard things like i liked playing tony hawk's pro skater i liked watching rocket power and a lot of that is because of tony hawk's pro skater it was just kind of like that uh escape to a culture that i was unfamiliar with but able to access through means that i was comfortable with i agree uh same way i uh definitely appreciated skate culture more after playing a lot of skating games and watching skating shows we had a skateboard yeah yeah i remember it was uh not a small skateboard it was a large skateboard yeah it was a larger skateboard it was kind of beat up yeah and we would sit on it and we would roll down the driveway which is (laughs) dangerous because most driveways end in a street (laughs) (laughs) ours in particular ended in a busy street and it was a driveway hill yes so our, our driveway was at an incline so you would definitely roll down and you would definitely end up in the street yep. <laughs> and, and we did that regularly and that's what it's like growing up in the 90s <laughs> because your parents weren't home now to get into our retro rewind seth had me play lego rock raiders i had trouble getting the original version working on the pc which that version came out in 2002 but i did find out that very recently like this month august someone had released on itch.io a full remake of the original game designed to be run on modern systems using like slightly updated graphics but all the original sound effects and assets and i was so happy it's called manic miners for anyone interested and hopefully it hasn't been like cease and desisted by lego yet in any case the game uh it played a little quicker than i remember but i think i was remembering the load times of the original game uh, beyond that though it's pretty much the same lego rock for the pc plays very similarly to a simplified real-time strategy game but with lego people you collect rocks and mines and you do uh mining and stuff like that and you use a drill to like bust down walls of rock and when you do that
that you find objects and you bring them back to your base and eventually you do have to fight bad guys who are like these big rock monsters and they live in the mine and they occasionally try to attack you your characters can't die because you know it's a children's game uh what happens is if they get like hit by something they will have question marks pop up over their head and they'll sit on the ground for a little bit and then they'll get up and they'll be fine that's what i do when i get hit it's a very nostalgic game for me but i don't know if i would necessarily say it is a game that holds up if you have memories of playing lego rock raiders yeah you'll probably enjoy it if you played it again today however if you've never played lego rock raiders there are better real-time strategy games that are more worth your time so uh, honestly you could probably pass on it but that's not to say that all lego games are like not worth checking out i think there are some lego games that are worth checking out for fun lego rock raiders might not necessarily be one of those games but it's an okay game overall next week seth i want you to play chris sawyer's locomotion nice i i enjoyed the chris sawyer games now zach had me play spiru which is if you just go back and listen to me saying that but pretend that i'm speaking in a french accent and it is a um, mascot platformer based on the french comic spiru et fantasio uh it was developed by infograms uh which a lot of these games that were never released in the u.s featuring random comics in from foreign countries were developed by yeah they had like the monopoly of like european comic european comic video games infograms they made it and they released it in the in the pal regions and they never ported it to america um so there was a lot of games that were released over uh, on mega drive um and spiru was one of them it was released back in 1995 and then in uh, 19 in 1996 it was released uh for the snes game boy windows and ms dos both releases were for um the pal regions and were not brought over to the u.s so if you had to if you played it you had to play it as an import game you play in the game as the titular character spiru and you have to platform around various stages with the ability to jump and sprint you also can shoot but you can't do that until the fourth level and there are eight levels so until halfway through the game you eventually get a, a gun which i didn't get to because it's fine it's pretty much a standard platformer but the beginning part of it is tough because you don't have any offensive ability um but the controls are tight in regards to like when you jump the character jumps and goes to where you think he's gonna go so let, let's talk about it a little bit spiro you play as this french guy he's going to like a science convention and then some other guy tries to take over and then you run around with your animal i'm thinking it's a dog and the dog like leads you through the level but can go through like taxi cabs that you can't go through so you have to go through doors and apartments to go up to like higher levels to jump around and climb on like electrical wires that's like shooting electricity which don't dangle from electrical wires that's just don't if you're a child don't classic gaming uh advice right there yeah that's right don't just dangle from electrical wires anyway spiro does so if you have if you have fond memories of spiro like if you're french and you're listening to this and you're like i love spiro the comic i'm apologize for my bad french accent you might want to play spiro it's fine as a platformer if you want to check out a pal game that's a little more fun uh check out the asterix series <laughs> the the asterix and oblix series is a lot of fun it's a, it's a blast it's a platformer game it involves punching immediately and yeah. jumping on things one of them was released in the u.s it was so good 
the Asterix and Obelix, The Great Rescue. Yeah, check out those games. They're also a European comic that was released in PAL. Infograms did the Tintin games, which are, I feel, hit or miss and really only play well if you love Tintin. Anyway, next week, Zach, I was going to have you play Vagrant Story, but instead I think I want you to play Apocalypse. Nice. I'm so happy. So now everyone is so excited that you're going to be playing Apocalypse. Glad to hear it, Seth. If you have any memories of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and you want to let us know, you can email ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com. We're available on Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers, Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers, Twitter, and Blue Sky as CG Brothers Pod. We're also available wherever podcasts can be found, so be sure to check us out on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. We're there. Be sure to check out our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com. You can check out our store. We have stuff for sale and uh yeah with that being said seth do you have anything you want to contribute don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's